Welcome to the Simpleton Podcast. This is our winter 2022 state of the ministry. For anyone who likes Simple House, for our board members, for anybody who wants to know what's going on, um, we just fought, finished up the holiday season. This is always the busiest time of year for us. We've in recent years kind of shifted the way we handle the Thanksgiving Christmas season. And I think it's an interesting idea for anyone who's interested in ministry or how we function to understand that. We used to go to door to door every Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. And the idea was to meet families. Uh, meeting the homeless is almost never a problem, but there's always a challenge to meet um, struggling families in the community, right? If you go to a public housing neighborhood, most of the families need help, like the type of help we provide, and also need the friendship we provide. But like other neighborhoods are a little bit more mixed and trying to figure out how to find the hidden poor is the challenge. So what we would do is we'd come with a gift. We'd come with like an invitation to church. Um, we'd small talk, pray with people, let them pray with us, pray over us. You know, um, I always feel like that's an excellent form of missionary work, having inviting someone else to lead the prayer. Um, it It's an incredible act of kind of solidarity with the person and humility, but it's also like, actually you're getting that person to pray and they may not have prayed for a while, you know? So right there, you've done a good piece of missionary work. Um, as Christians, we don't always need to be in charge of the prayer. And also, um, God can correct a little mistakes that are made during prayer. It doesn't have to be perfect. So anyway, well, we were doing that and through that, we, you know, get invited into homes, um, just like kind of amazing things would happen. Like science, I had to tell the missionaries don't have tea when we go into this neighborhood because people are going to try to get you to sit down for half an hour and we're trying to get through, get through all the doors here. You know, if we want to have tea, you got to come back later. And it got to the point though, that we got enough families in our ministry. And then the families for the most part were identifying other families for us to meet. Like it was like, our ministry was growing through networking, not through advertising and not through going door to door, but just like the poor know who the poor are. Like in a public housing neighborhood, there's often a family who the neighbors are feeding the kids. Um, people are watching kids if parents are struggling with drug addiction and things like that. It's like the, the poor are the most charitable people to the poor. And they would point us towards these families that needed our help. And we would kind of like find people that way. So, we, a couple years ago, said, hey, we actually don't have time to follow up on all these new leads every time we do these outreaches. We need to shift what we're doing. And so we came up with this idea called Party in a Box. And what it is, is we create a box of goodies. We schedule a time with someone. We roll into their house and like set up a party and hang out for... I'd say this, a short one's an hour and a long one's like three hours. And you're just sitting around, you know, maybe you've got like a uh, coffee bar set up with whipped cream and everything you want in your coffee. Then you got a little plate of cookies and uh, not just sweets, but you have savory stuff like cheese and crackers and sausages and things like this, right? And you just hang out and eating with people is amazing. I think it's, I think part of the reason why there's this kind of rule of thumb that families should dine together is just by eating with each other. You're just kind of getting this great positive association um, of having food in your belly and being with these people. 
And that's probably also part of the reason why the mass is based around a meal. Um, and it's amazing how much ministry catch up and how much deepening of the relationships could happen through these party in the boxes. But boy, is it wear you out? Cause like, if you've got to do two parties a day for two weeks straight, you do not want to see another Christmas cookie. Uh, as I've gotten older, I get heartburned from these party in the boxes. I have to literally like, you know, slap my hand from eating at these things, you know? Um, but it's been great. You know, it's just, it kind of burns you out on, uh, all the cool things about Christmas, about, you know, going home with your family and eating appetizers and stuff with the family. Cause you're like done with that by the time that happens. Uh, the other thing we used to do for Christmas that we quit doing was we used to run a pretty big Christmas angeling program. Um, pretty big meaning like, I think we would do over a hundred kids per house. Uh, so DC and KC would each be over a hundred. And it was an incredible amount of like finding the donors who wanted to angel the kids, working with them to get them to bring stuff on time or pick it up from them. Um, we honestly had to like sort through things or you'd end up with some weird situation where one kid in the family has like $400 worth of gifts and the other kid in the family got a sweater, you know? So you had to like, kind of like open things, like reshuffle it if it was necessary, buy things to like, um, supplement what was happening, you know? Um, so there was a lot of work like that, a lot of huge amount of storage, you know, one whole part, half of the KC house, half of the duplex in KC would just be Christmas presents and big black bags that we'd like sorted and everything. And we, but I loved it and I loved it because I love toys and I love kids and I like trying to figure out what's going to make the kid the happiest. And my goal is if I can give the kid a toy that six months later, they still have some use for awesome. Laura and I used to get in fights about this because she thought that every Christmas should have a certain amount of junk, like uh, Hello Kitty pads and things like this, where it's like, they will be destroyed in three days, but it's like part of what makes it special. And I'm like, no, Christmas should be about Legos and, you know, just stuff that will, the gift that keeps on giving type idea, right? But anyway, we had a good balance of it. And I loved, you know, a couple days before Christmas, rolling into Toys R Us back in the day with like a big budget of so many hundreds of dollars and a shopping list of all the kids who, you know, their angels didn't show up or something like that. Right. And I had to go fill this list and figure something out. And so I always thought that was a lot of fun. The thing was though, is we, it became clear to us that it was a duplicate service. Most of the time that other churches and ministries were doing it, that some of the families didn't necessarily need the gifts that when we delivered them, there wasn't a lot of thankfulness because it was, yeah, okay, great. We got more gifts for the kids for Christmas, but it just wasn't great ministry at the end of the day. And it was hard for me to realize that because I loved, I loved the whole concept of it. You know, if I got a couple kids, a couple home run gifts, I was like, sweet, you know? Um, so I remember many years kind of getting pushed back, particularly from Laura, that maybe this is not what we should be doing or we need to cut this way back. And then finally, Margo out here in KC was like, I think we should just stop angeling altogether and that should not be part of our Christmas outreach. And I was like shocked, but it's like as soon as it came out of her mouth, I knew she was right. So we stopped and we still do it a little bit. Like 
if there's a family that's fallen through the cracks, like the poorest of the poor in America are often people who are depressed, people who aren't even asking for help, people who won't go out of their house to go ever sign up um, with a ministry to be to get Christmas presents, you know. So we work with some people like that, and in those cases, we uh, still will Christmas Angel. Um, but it's more the exception than the rule. That's also kind of true with these general outreaches, that although we've shifted entirely to party in the box, we've still found that um, if we have a big increase in missionaries, we need more families. We need more people to target you know, with our missionary work. And also, um, it's not good to merely rely on networking, we've found. Uh, you need to challenge yourself to go into new parts of the city where maybe there is no network and kind of groundbreak there. So in recent years, we've done some door-to-door outreaches as needed or with spring break groups, not even on holidays. Um, there was just one here in Kansas City Tuesday this week where we went around um, the parish that we go to and did an outreach. And we've also done it where we've gone into parishes, and I think we could offer this to a parish if, if you got a parish that's interested, where we bring in a few missionaries and then train um, parishioners the day of We have about an hour and a half or two hours of eating bagels and um, talking through what a door-to-door outreach is. And then we send people out for about two hours to do a door-to-door outreach for the parish. And we've done that here in Kansas City for Good Counsel and for St. Louis Parish. Um, And that's been beautiful. It's also helped Simple House because if if your parish is in a – has at least – is in partially impoverished area, we sometimes find – families we need to work with by doing that too. So that's what Christmas is and, or Christmas and Thanksgiving ministry is, but there's also this other thing that happens where like 60% of all money raised happens between Thanksgiving and new year's. And for simple house, this was problematic because we try not to like save a lot of money. We're trying to be a poverty ministry, but you get this wave of um, donations, you know, just during, honestly, your busiest time of year. It's almost like I have, we, you almost have to do so much fundraising, um, even just to keep up with the, the gifts that are coming in um, and respond to them and do all that work um, while you're also in your busiest ministry time. And it's been huge help. Thank you to everyone who is a monthly donor, um, spreading that out. We also have a hundred percent match of monthly donors, which I've said a thousand times. And it's like, people still have never heard it. If you give 10 bucks a month, there is another donor who will give an additional 10 bucks a month, but he only does it if you become a monthly donor. So figure out how to do that, please. And if you are a monthly donor and you increase by any amount, like you increase from, 10 bucks to 15 or from a hundred to 115 or whatever, he matches the increase for a whole year. Um, that's been huge as far as helping us be a little bit more even keel in the holidays. Um, the other thing that happened this year that was interesting. Oh, so we send out the Thanksgiving and Christmas newsletter. Um, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this got those. If you want to receive our letters, um, there's usually a story from ministry in there. Um, that, we're not sharing here on the simpleton podcast for variety reasons, but um, it's interesting and uh, feel free to go by our website or somehow reach out to us and get on our mailing list. Um, They're sent about five times a year. The next letter is actually going out next month and it's actually the year in review letter where we just kind of talk about 
how's the finances been for Simple House over the last year? And we try to be as transparent as possible with the kind of the big numbers that matter the most. And how's the recruiting going for new missionaries? Um, how's the idea of expansion going? And we try to work through all that. We're also been, you know, as we've talked about on the Simpleton podcast, getting ready to spin off this new Just Homes 501c3 for sheltering the mentally ill homeless um, to take our housing units and put in a new organization. So we'll update on that. So that's kind of an interesting, like more or less factual letter. The other letters are more, here's a few things that went on, but here's also this interesting story of this one person's experience of homelessness or ministry or anything, salvation, any one of these things. Um, but trying to be tell stories that you're not getting otherwise and hearing in the news. Um, the non-stereotypical stories is what we try to give. So this year, uh, we did not have a COVID outbreak. And as soon as everyone got home for Christmas, they all got COVID. And I felt bad because like half the case, actually more hit the KC community than the DC community. DC community had a scare, but no one actually got it on break. The KC community, it was like half the community had COVID during their time with family, which is weird and funny because it's like, Simple House is kind of a rough house. Uh, living simply, you'd much rather, most people would rather be sick on the couch at their parents' house than sick at Simple House. <laughs> And so it's like this, like, most people were like, well, thank goodness this isn't happening to me at Simple House. Also, we would have had to shut down the ministry for a couple of weeks while we dealt with COVID. So thankfully they didn't do it at Simple House. And we also got at least the KC community to basically herd immunity uh, over Christmas break. So, oh, the other thing that's kind of neat is Simple House works with a variety of seminarians throughout the year. DC has a lot of seminaries around it particularly um, one major theological college. There used to be another one in the area that closed, but there's also all these like different house seminaries, like Dominican house being the biggest that they run their own seminary, but the Capuchins are up there taking classes either at Dominican house or CUA. And um, all of those groups have historically sent guys to simple house. And we only take as many as we can handle, which turns out to be maybe like three guys for a whole semester or for a year um, depending on how long their program would like them to serve with us. Um, but we also have this, these other opportunities where, uh, this KC doesn't have as many seminaries that are that close. We do work with Conception Abbey seminary in Missouri, um, for special event type stuff, but not like weekly. They're a little bit too far away to have a guy come out with this weekly, but, um, St. John Vianney out in Denver does this thing where, um, they have, they kind of have a monastic year during seminary. They call it spirituality year where they're just going to read the spiritual greats. I don't think there's any, uh, formal courses or grades for the guys, but they're just trying to get, help these guys become more spiritually mature for a year. You know, it's kind of the non-academic year of seminary for them. And as part of that process, whoever came up with this spirituality year, I think it might've been father Jim Thermos out in Denver. But he had, there was this idea that let's just put them on a Greyhound bus right after the new year and they won't know where they're going. And then they'll meet someone they've never met before at the other end of this Greyhound bus and they'll be shown where they're living for the next month and we'll send them to like different types of poverty ministries, right? So for years now, we've been getting two seminarians every January to live in our uh, KC community 
And um, it's great. I mean, lately, it seems like they're all from Phoenix. This year, we've got um, Peter from the Gallup Diocese and Steven from Phoenix. Um, they used to be all from Oklahoma City Diocese, it felt like. They were always sending us Oklahoma City guys. But uh, these poor guys show up. They come down to the guys' uh, unit in our duplex, and uh, there's almost no heat down there. We're getting a furnace installed. Thank you for the donors who donated for that furnace. I recently had the HVAC guy just quit on me due to the um, supply chain problems. He could not get a hold of the right units for us and just gave up. So now I got to dig up another guy who will probably have the same problems, but hopefully just ride him out. Um, anyway, so they come with a simple house and it's just been great over the years. The Jesuits also used to do this. They would send a single guy, usually later in the year. They used to send one to D.C. too, where we would just get this guy who's in formation with the Jesuits show up, be here with us for a month, do work alongside of us. And um, overall, it was always been a blessing, you know. Um, I mean, not every... Half of all seminarians don't complete seminary. Probably more than half of all seminarians don't complete seminary. And you're also meeting guys who are works in progress. So, uh, I love all of it. I've never really disliked it at all, but it's just an interesting, it's interesting for our missionaries to meet them and interact with them. It's interesting to like have some role in their formation. Um, and seminary is kind of rough in the Catholic church, very long process. Got to stick it out. Um, we should interview someone from a seminary sometime to kind of explain that process. Cause I don't think Catholics really understand it that well. Um, we also have coming up, uh, I'll cover this maybe in the next uh, quarterly update on the simpleton podcast, but we have our silent retreat coming up at a monastery in February. We've got a bunch of spring break groups coming. Uh, DC has a group right now. We had a bunch of return people this year and a lot, they all came and slept on the floor. And um, this year we actually had cots for them and stuff. We, Splurged and got a bunch of U.S. Army uh, surplus cots, and uh, they're like, they can't believe how nice it is now. <laughs> They've got their own room and their own place to sleep at Simple House. Uh, other things going on right now. Oh, I wanted to. T- I want to tell a story that has no moral. That uh, is very difficult to tell, and I'm never going to put it in a newsletter. But I think here might be a place to say it. It's kind of a weird story because some people who listen are going to be like. Oh, wow, that's great. And other people will be like, why are you even telling me this story? So that's going to be at the end of this podcast. So uh, stay tuned if you want to hear a weird story that has no moral. We have some ministry happening right now that's great. We have a couple um, women missionaries at the Casey house who were working with this mom who is really doing a heroic uh, job. And I, I don't, I couldn't. I, she needs to tell her story probably, but she's taking care of a tremendous amount of kids far beyond, not just her own. And they're having an incredible housing crisis and she's really stressed. And the girls at the Casey house were like, you know what she needs? They're doing a spa day. It's like, Oh, you're having a housing crisis. What you need is a mani pedi and uh, cucumbers on your eyes. And I love that they do this, but it also reminds me of like, you know, like Alicia Silverstone and Clueless or something. It's like, and oh, you're having, you might be homeless. Oh, let's give you a spa day. So, but they are, we're actually going to work through her housing problem while she's getting pampered over at Simple House. And I think that this is cool because it's like a, it's a service 
it's definitely loving. Um, it's something that this mom would not get otherwise. And it's not like just buying her a gift certificate to a spa. It's actually us making up a little spa in our living room and like, and kind of giving her that attention. And, uh, I just think that's cool. So I want to kind of <laughs> send a little, um, encouragement to them for doing that. I get to be there and try to talk through the housing problem while they're, while she's getting her fingernails painted. Um, all right. Story with no moral. I'm going to leave out a lot of personal details as I probably should anyway, but in this story particularly, I'm going to try to keep as many details out as necessary because it's about drug dealing. And uh, there's obviously legal problems with that, right? So drug dealing, in my experience uh, working in these communities, is not very profitable. Uh, A successful drug dealer might get a few grand up and... I was always amazed by that because I was always like when people would talk to me about how impressed they were with so-and-so or he's making a lot of money, I would kind of try to get to the bottom of like, how much are we talking about here? Like how, like I mean, they weren't able to rent an apartment. Uh, if they bought a car with the proceeds, it would be like a two, $3,000 car. It wasn't like they were riding around in Mercedes Benz from drug dealing or something. And so drug dealing has just not been, um, it was much, it's much more about the romance, the, the retail end of drug dealing is more about the romance of the lifestyle and kind of the scene of the streets and the being your own boss than it is about, uh, making your ends meet. Um, I think that goes against the common understanding that you often just hear people assume is true, but like most of these guys would have made far more money had they become a waiter or even worked at McDonald's, you know, um, they just, the types of things you would even, they would even brag about purchasing from the proceeds of being a retail drug dealer were just too small. It's like, Hey, I got a new pair of sneakers. Cause I did this deal, you know, isn't that awesome? And you'd be like, I don't know why you're bragging me about it, but it doesn't seem like that's that awesome. Like <laughs> you could do better if you just got a regular job. Um, but there's one guy I know who probably is more profitable than the rest. Um, I'd say significantly so. And, you know, without, he's never told me what he does. And I've never like directly asked what he does, but it's always assumed that I know what he does. I think it's assumed I know what he does. And I think I know what he does. Um, and he's a mostly harmless person who is dealing. When I say mostly harmless, is he's not shooting up the neighborhood. He's not, um, dealing hard things, um, mainly something that's going to be legal, which would be like marijuana, you know? Um, and most of the people I've known who deal through our ministry, it's always been marijuana. Um, and I had a conversation with him a couple years ago that was interesting. And it was this really painful conversation because the cops had been, uh, on his tail pretty heavily. And, um, he was scared and he was scared cause you know, he has dependents, you know, and he realized that his whole life might end. Uh, he's scared both of, you know, the violence associated with what he does and that that could end his life. He's also afraid that he could end up in jail for a long time. He also is hopeful though, that it's going to become legal, but as it's becoming legal, um, he realizes that they're cutting him out. You know, I think this is kind of a something that's upsetting and I have no solution, but like the state 
was like, hey, if you want to become get in line to become a legal dispensary or a legal um, grow operation or whatever, uh, the deposit to get in line was six figures, right? And you had to have a resume showing that you'd run businesses before and that you could handle this, right? And he's like, a guy like me, who's actually already in this business, um, even if I came up with the money, I could not, you know, pass the resume part. I never graduated high school, right? And there's something really dumb about this, like dumb that here's a guy who was telling me basically he wants to become legal. He's telling me that he wants to get out of this lifestyle and he can't, right? So the conversation went in a direction of like, he needs to get out. He knows he needs to get out. Um, and I'm like, look, man, you need to get an insurance policy and, um, and you need to get a way out and maybe they can be the same thing, right? We're like brainstorming. I say, hey, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do and get out of this? He goes, well, I will not go flip burgers, right? I'm kind of sympathetic with him. He'd been doing really well for a long time, I think, doing what he was doing. And he wasn't going to go take that type of step backwards. And he felt like, and that's the only people who'd hire me based on, you know, my qualifications. He goes, I'm not going to do that though. And I go, okay, well then come up with a new idea. What would you want to do? And he had this idea of like, a restaurant arcade. And I was, and I'm particularly with our missionaries. I'm often the guy who's like, come up with a crazy idea and I will encourage you. I don't have to like your idea. I don't have to believe it's going to work. I want you trying your ideas, you know? And when he said this, I was like not trying to evaluate the business plan of a restaurant arcade in uh, his home neighborhood. I was just trying to say, go for it, you know? And I said, go get a, um, a storage unit. And whenever you get some money up, go buy one of these stand-up arcade games, which are on a couple grand, and put in that storage unit. And then if you get arrested, if something happens to you, your significant other and your dependents, they have a key to that storage unit. They have, they can sell those things off. They have some assets. They have. You're not leaving them, oh, they just lost their provider and they're homeless tomorrow. You know? Um and my mind, that was like, give him hope to get out and also give him an insurance policy. And I know if you're listening to this and you're like, Clark, that doesn't sound like you're telling him to reform his life immediately. It doesn't sound like you're telling him to change everything right now, right? Or um, convert and just start going to church and follow. And I, I know, and I, I feel a little bit conflicted that I'm almost telling him a um, half measure to reform his life, you know, but I didn't know what else to do. And I also, um, it was a very confusing situation. We're just standing on the street and he's very emotional. He's very emotional that he might go to jail at any moment. And he's not even mad at the cops. He's like, they're just doing their job, you know, but they're doing their job and it might end my life as I know it, you know? Um, so we have this conversation and it never really comes up again. And I distance myself a little bit from, him cause he's a little bit too emotional for me. Like I'm kind of like, you're kind of a dangerous guy and I don't feel very called to do much ministry right here. Years go by. Um, recently he comes and he, he, he kind of gets a hold of me and he's like, look, a SWAT team surrounded my house and he's got cameras on his house. And he's like, and I saw them and I thought my life's over. And I like took my life. When I say life's over, I don't mean he's going to die. Although that is a real possibility when you're in a SWAT raid. Uh, it just meant he thought, gigs up 
you know, the way we've been living, the equilibrium we're at is crushed, you know? And he, you know, told his kid to get out of the shower. Everybody had to start, they started getting their stuff ready. Like, cause you assume, you know, dad's going to jail, you know, and, um, make sure they're going to be safe and, you know, not, not get hurt in the SWAT raid. Turns out though, the SWAT team was for his neighbor. Um, but this is like a come to Jesus moment. Like he sees in his camera, his house is surrounded. Turns out it's not for him. Uh, and it's just this like come to Jesus moment of like, Oh my gosh, I have to quit doing this. You know that I don't like that feeling. I don't want that to happen. That is going to happen. It eventually happens, blah, blah, blah. Right. So he comes to talk to me again. And this time he's like, ever since our conversation, uh, three days after that conversation, I decided to get that insurance policy and I started mining cryptocurrencies. And he's got this like pretty significant mining operation going and I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe it because I tried this summer to figure out cryptocurrencies and couldn't even get a wallet to work. And I spent literally eight hours of my time trying to figure out just the technical details of how to transfer things and load things on and off something, right? Did not get it done. I went to grad school for finance, right? Here's this dude who doesn't come across as super bright, apologies if you ever hear this, <laughs> but didn't finish high school, not only figured all that out, not only figured out the economics of it, not only gave himself an education in it, set up a whole mining operation, and is far beyond anything I even know how I would achieve, while like, and it's his out plan. It's his insurance policy and it's his out plan, and he's hoping to get out of the lifestyle Um by getting into that, you know? Uh, and he was crying while he was telling me this, that this is like, he's really close to being out. And it's because of this like change in direction he had. And it's just, I don't know. I was like, I was blown away. I was blown away by the accomplishment just technically. And I was blown away that he had the discipline to not buy flashy things and to like do this for his family, you know? This type of story, I said, has no moral because it's not like he went to church. It's not like he changed everything. This, this is a move in the right direction, but I don't even know how to dress it up in church speak. You know, I'm, I'm not insulting church speak. I just, I don't know. I mean, make of that what you will. You could think he's <laughs> said in a huge life change, or you could think this is actually a pretty cool life change. So, But I wanted to tell that to somebody because it was very meaningful to me and I still don't know what to think about it. Um, but we'll see. So God bless everybody. Um, like I said, your in review letter is coming and I hope you like the podcast. Oh, and this month we're going to do a review of the podcast. Um, we're going to see, do people like it? We're going to try to do more guests. We're going to, we've got a new, um, series coming out on the traditionalist movement in the Catholic church. I think of it as kind of a, a similar endeavor as that we did with the sex abuse crisis, where we're going to try to go into a media topic where there's not really an expert and talk the pros and cons of it. Um, and I hope you enjoy that, but we need feedback. We need feedback on what works for you and what you don't like and you do like. So, um, if you like these quarterly updates on what's happening at Simple House, let us know. I think we'll probably keep doing those. Um, it's our second one. And um, God bless. And please like, subscribe, and share. Mm -hmm.